Well, I can't wait to meet our host. I hear this is only one of his beat parties. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Hello and welcome back to Too True to Lie with Harry Day. I am Harry Day. We're going to have some jazz running in the background. More to lighten the mood than anything. I don't always run music during the recordings. Um, this recording is just going to go off the cuff. We're just going to let it fly, see what happens, see what comes out. We're going to base it on the year 2020 and what a crap year it's been and how lucky we are to still have our heads held high and our noses out of the poo. Maybe keep our feet dry. Maybe stay out of jail. <laughs> um, stay happy. Stay positive, right? Like the intro says, stay positive. And we're only halfway through the year 2020. I believe this is the second time that the earth was supposed to end on the Mayan calendar. So we still got six months left to see if that happens. But we'll backtrack into the year 2020, at least my year 2020. Hindsight 2020 for 2020 is a big pile of poop. I'm not cussing in this episode. I'm keeping it clean so we don't go explicit. I do that on a few episodes. This won't be one. Although it's very deserving of it. 2020 kicked off. Obviously, January 1st, my dad's birthday. He turned 88. Um, deer and duck season were in full swing. I did not shoot a mallard in January. I did not shoot a duck over at Brian's place in Washington County in the Delta. I did shoot a few deer. I think maybe two in January, which made six for the season. So I put plenty of deer burger, deer steak, and a little bit of sausage in the freezers. So as far as deer season went, I mean, no trophy bucks. One was okay. The, you know, the others, other deer were does or maybe a spike. Um, we hit February. Uh, the full knowledge in my mind going into 2020 was that divorce was certain with my ex. In February, we hammered out the details with the lawyers. Maybe even in January, but I think February. In March, I went to a couple of Mississippi State baseball games with my friend Casey up in Starkville and some other good people. And 
of the three games I went to, my son went with me to one, had a huge time. Met some, some Mississippi State football VIPs. Uh, Mississippi State won every game I attended up there in baseball. And what was rolling around in the background of America's psyche was the coronavirus in China. And a travel ban had been put in place for China so they wouldn't come into the, this country. And then it went in for Europe because Italy and Spain got real bad. But then it showed up in the United States and by not even two weeks into March, things started to shut down. Sports seasons, pro and collegiate, shut down or didn't start. Um, schools went online. People finished their school. My kids finished online. School's out, so I had them here at home, which is where I want them. Um, and I didn't know people that had gotten the virus. The janitor or custodian at my children's school, actually I went to that school also long ago, uh, the custodian's wife died of it. That was the first someone that was anywhere close to here that had succumbed to that horrible disease that is still going on now. And in fact, we all know by, new, by watching the news and keeping up with current events that we had all the protests across the country because a bad cop killed a man. But because of color, apparently that makes it worse. And so then you have lots of protests, which is fine, but then radicals infiltrate the protests and start looting and burning and beating up people and then people cops started getting assassinated here and there or in cities around the country and now we've got monuments being vandalized and toppled and thrown into rivers or just taken down by city governments all in democrat mayoral cities predominantly that's what's been going on this summer. Um, my divorce was final in April, early April. Uh, my ex and I are friends. Um, I have the kids mostly because she works at a uh, doctor's office for uh, vanity work and, and skin. She's an esthetician, skin things. And I work from home doing my sculptures, um, writing my books. I've taken up painting again. And I really like what I'm doing, although this, the, the second in a series of wildflowers that I'm doing, I overdid. So now I've got to keep going to try to make it look better, give it some, uh, it's too busy, but I'll get there with that. Painting's easy.
So we had the protests that turned into all these riots. People were getting killed in these riots still. And these cities were, they've just gone mad. It's insane. The whole message of, you know, police brutality and still seeking equal rights for African Americans has just totally been squashed and eclipsed by all the violence that just common bad citizens are doing in their own communities and to each other and now monuments are being taken down and I understand the Confederate monuments and taking down the Confederate flag Mississippi we just had our flag we just voted we didn't the legislature voted to change the flag we retired our old flag that still had the Confederate battle flag on part of the flag last state to do so in the Union and I think it's a good thing. I w- if it were a vote, I'd vote for change. Um, but people are going after all monuments. And I, I just think it's, it's this generation of know-nothings where they just want to react and do and they don't understand what they're doing. Or why... Or, or, you know, there, there's a difference between a statue of Robert E. Lee and a statue of Abraham Lincoln. But they're going, and George Washington, they're going after them all. Stevie Ray Vaughn's statue in Austin was vandalized. Frederick Douglass's monument was torn down completely and it's irreparable. Now, it's not black people doing all this. They're part of the protests. They're part of the riots. But it's just people. It's individuals. We judge by the individual. But you have these radicals who just, they're anarchists. They're radicals. Many of them are criminals. Some of these people had good jobs and got caught. Like the couple in New York City that had uh, high quality educations and good jobs, a man and a woman, and they were firebombing police cars and got caught, and they're going to jail. They're going to serve time in prison, and they do not look like the kind of people who will do well in prison. I guarantee you those libtards are going to cry a lot. But that's neither here nor there in our world, right? It just blows my mind. The elk in Portland, I've seen it. I lived in the Northwest for a year, or a half a year. A little more than half a year. Big, beautiful bronze elk statue. Not far from the river, downtown Portland, was vandalized and so it had to be taken down. What's the point? Other than just wanting anarchy. 
these people are getting caught. Things in cities, you know, big, big, big cities. I remember San Diego and San Francisco and a little bit of Portland when I was out on the West Coast and how everything was spray painted, was tagged. New Orleans is like that too, really badly. You know, the uh, paper, newspaper boxes where you put in your money and you get a newspaper out, tagged. Street signs, tagged. Uh, boxes, you know, city property boxes that contain the works for street lights or old landline telephone workings and, and electric, electricity workings, whatever. Good works. Tagged. Everything's spray painted. I hate it. And y'all, and I've, I've, I've stated my opinion on, on taggers, on these spray paint vandal taggers. It's a joke. It's not art. If you think it's art, you're wrong. It's vandalism and it's crap because you can't figure out what it says in the first place. Squiggly lines. Hooray. It's like, who let the epileptic out with a spray paint can? Except an epileptic has more sense than these people that do all this stuff. So anyway, we, we've had the second quarter of this year filled with looting and vandalism and violence and arson and, and hate. And it's not coming from my side of the political spectrum. I'm a conservative. I'm a libertarian. I will always vote right because the left is so screwed up and dipped in socialism. Look at their cities. Cities run by Democrats are in ruins. They're in debt. They're filled with crime and poverty. And yet they still vote Democrat? I don't get it. Keep voting yourself in the cesspool. So that was that's pretty much the second part of this four-part year. You know, we had the pandemic still going on, bigger than ever now because all these protests that were that got really big in big cities. It just spread the virus, and even though it was mostly young people, they're taking it home with them. They're taking it to their parents and their grandparents with them. They're taking it to stores. They're taking it wherever they go. The ones that get it. And it spreads. People get sick. And some people die. Very irresponsible. 2020 is the year of irresponsibility, isn't it? Two days ago, I couldn't have talked about this next part. Yesterday, I probably could have, but only because in the big picture, it was a good thing. Today was another good day. My mom and I both had good days today. She got to spend time with my daughter. We all had lunch together, and we made the funeral arrangements for my father. My father passed away 
Saturday morning, July 4th. On the 4th of July, he was 88 years old. He was born New Year's Day, 1932. And he had been over the past, gosh, six weeks. I'm just going to guesstimate. Over the, he he had been getting around the house with a walker because he'd lost strength in his legs. I remember it was during the whole COVID thing which is still going on. He had to, he had a mini stroke, but all he lost was power in his, you know, strength in his left leg mostly. Now my father's six, six. He weighs a little more than me. I'm, I'm, I'm a little under 220. He's a little, he's about 225-ish. I remember when he had that mini stroke, but we didn't know that's what it was at the time. I, I was called to their house and I went and I could not pick him up to get him back on the bed. He was sitting on the floor and he was in and out of, I wouldn't say consciousness, but cognizance for sure. And his legs were kicking a little bit twitchy and we called the fire department and they came and put him in the bed. But we were like, we need to get him to the hospital. So we called an ambulance and they put him on a gurney and took him to the hospital. They found out he had a mini stroke. So he was at the hospital for five days, maybe. Hated it. I went and saw him. Then, I'm pretty sure this was in April. Then, let's see. It might have been, it had to have been early April. Then he went into a rehabilitation home for two weeks. Hated it there. He hated it. The food was bad. The help was not very attentive. The PT was good. So then we get him home. And they have PT coming to the house. And he's actually able to get up and go from the bed to his chair with a walker and so he's getting around the house and he's building back up very very slowly I didn't think he'd build up further than what he was doing turns out I was right not that I wanted to be um let me see if I can think how it happened my mom called and said, we gotta go to a doctor's appointment. Can you help us get him in the car? So I went over there and apparently he had lost strength in his right leg. He'd been building it back very slowly where he could get around on a walker and it got to where he couldn't do, do that anymore. And so he went to the doctor no he went and did had tests done he had a, a EKG or a CAT scan or whatever and they're like okay you you haven't had another stroke 
but we're going to do some blood work and we're going to do some tests. And so they sent him, they did whatever they did that day and they sent him home. But he was unable to, you know, to me, he looked like he was bound for a wheelchair life. And then they sent him in again for some kind of test. The doctor wanted to see him and check, check some things. This was last week. And they realized he hadn't had a stroke. He had congested heart failures coming on. He had started breathing short. Was that at home when he started breathing short? I think it was. He went in and that's when they found that out. Well, I, I didn't find that out. That was like a Friday morning last week. Me and the kids were on our way to Lake Pickwick, see Hap and friends, and have a 4th of July weekend up at Lake Pickwick in North Mississippi. We were, we were one town, I'm in Canton, we were one town east of Canton on the other side of Carthage, headed up. My mom, my mom called and said, you know, he's got congested heart failure. That's why he's breathing so shallow. Um, he didn't have COVID. They tested that. And I asked him if he wanted you near. And he said yes. And by that time, I was already turning around. My kids didn't even notice I turned around. They were looking at their phones, I'm sure. And then I, and what it, it struck me tomorrow's the 4th of July. He was born on New Year's Day. He's going to die tomorrow. He's going to be, he's going to be, he's going to go. I mean, I just knew it in my bones because he wanted me close and he wanted me to come see him. And of course he had this congested heart and I already knew his weakened condition already, physically. And so, that, this is Friday morning, so my mom went and saw him midday, called me when she was done and said, you know, he was, he was talking better and the breathing treatment seemed to be working. You know, I think he's doing okay. Why don't you go see him at, at uh, what was it? Five to seven was the evening visit and only one person could go. So my kids didn't get to go see him. So I went and saw him at five and he was laying in bed just struggling to breathe with the oxygen tube around his face, under his nose. And we had a good talk, talked about how we loved each other. He asked if I need anything. I told him you've done, you've always been there for me and always done everything that was right for me. He never, he didn't always give me what I wanted. But he was a great father and he did things right. And I told him that. And at some point he was like, well, I'm, I'm pretty certain I'm near the end. And, you know, my eyes are watering. My eyes were watering. Then, you know, and I'm having to wear a mask the whole time. I'd pull it down a lot where I could breathe. 
And uh, I just sat there with them and uh, tried to keep them comforted and calm. And uh, we talked a while about different things, about my kids. And it was, it was a good closure talk that I think he and I both knew were gonna happen. And, you know, at five o'clock, six o'clock, six thirty, you know, his breathing's short, you know, his legs are kind of got that twitchy kick to him. One leg falls off the bed, he picks it back up a little bit. He, I'm watching him die, and I know I was. I knew I knew it was coming. And he was kind of in and out of sleep by then. Seven o'clock comes around and the the PA, whatever the system, sound system says, all hospital visitors, patient visitors must now leave. Thank you. And uh, I just sat there. I wasn't leaving. I, I thought I would just sit there all night and see what happens. But he was getting sleep. I sat there another hour. Eight o'clock, and I was like, "Well, he's sleeping." Um, you know, I could see his vitals on the machine up there that showed oxygen and heart rate and blood pressure. And his heart rate was up. His blood pressure was low. His oxygen level was good. Of course, he was. He had the he had the oxygen tube up his nose. And. I knew it was a matter of time, and I just knew it was going to be on the 4th. And so at 8.15, and he'd been sleeping, I was like, well, I may as well just, I may as well go. And uh, the kids were with my mom. The ex is out of town, which is regular. It's regular for her. It's probably why we're not together still. Um, I wake my dad up and say, Dad, I got to go. I told him I loved him, and I told him I'd see him tomorrow, but I knew I wouldn't. I, I mean, I, I knew there was a chance I would, that it might not happen till the next night or the next day. But we all knew it in our bones. At least me and my dad knew that it was his time. We was 88. He was, if he came home, he was going to be in a wheelchair if he was moving about. If he came home, he would be on oxygen now because of his heart symptom, which is what took his father too, except that was from a World War I wound, which that story is a, in a very early episode of Two True to Lie about Harold Ralph Day, his father. And he, he was awake and he he woke up and he was like, okay, love you, I'll see you. I was like, love you too, Dad. And uh, held his hand, it was very cold. Frail for a six foot six man. Um, He had the, you know, when you see elderly people with the big, with all the purple splotches on their forearms like lots of them. 
all the elderly people I've ever seen that I knew that had those died within the year, if not within the half year, or if not within a quarter year. And they may have looked fine at the time. It's something about the big purple splotches on their on, on your forearms. Um, you get those, God's, God's coming for you. You better hope it's God coming for you. <laughs> and not yonder other. Um, and so I had great closure with my dad. And hopefully he remembered some of it. The nurse who was on call, who came in during my visit, the, the nurse that was there left and the new, another nurse came in. Her name's Belle. Asian-American, fantastic woman, very attentive. She wanted me to write my number up on the grease board so she could call me instead of my mom if something happened overnight. I said, sure. So I go pick up the kids, we go eat, go home, you know, tootle around the house, go to bed. And 4 a.m., my phone rings. I notice the number. I know it's the hospital number. And I'm like, there it went. And I answer. And she goes, hey, it's Nurse Bell. Uh, your dad's okay. He's still with us. He's just calling for you and your mom. And he wants the newspaper and the cold coffee. And I still don't understand the cold coffee part. But... I was like, well, call my mom. She will come up there. I've got two kids here at the house. I can't just up and leave. And so apparently she did. But then she called me back and went through the same thing again. And I was like, I've got my kids here. I can't call my mom. I think she tried to calm him down and then called me back when he was still calling out. And that's when she decided, okay, I'll call your mom. And that was later in the morning, getting around 6.30. Hey, I'm on the phone. I mean, I'm not on the phone. I saw my son's shadow in the door, peeking. Um, before 7, about 6.30, they got my mom on the phone. She was awake. And my mom's like, I can come down there right now. And they're like, no, you just just wait till 9. Come at 9, that'd be a good time. Well, visiting hours are at 11. So that's given her a two-hour previous window, which is, you know, that's, that's good. That's good. Well, his doctor, Dr. Harkins, comes in about 7.30, roughly. And... They, you know, check his vitals and all that stuff. And um, maybe a little after something. And the story that we got from Bell is my dad had asked for a cool or cold wet rag so he could wash his face and head. That's what he asked for. So she did that for him. I wonder what he thought to want that. I wonder who he might have seen 
that no one else would see. Or, you know, when you're that close, angels are around. Angels and dead relatives are in the room. I truly believe it. Uh, and for some reason, he wanted to clean his face and head. Maybe he just wanted to clean his face and head. And he was... The doctor was holding his hand, and they were having a conversation. Although my dad was just kind of weakly responding to his questions about how he's doing, how he feels, how's his breathing. And the other nurses were in the room because they follow the doctor when he's doing his rounds and they go by whatever he thinks and says of the patients. The doctor's holding my dad's hand. They're having a conversation. I think the doctor either looked at the vitals on the screen or look to a nurse and when he looked back my dad was gone his heart just stopped like a switch no seizure no kicking no groaning no anything it was just a peaceful flick the switch off and I had prayed to the Lord this is where I get misty eyed even now I had prayed to the Lord to lift him up and make it quick when the time comes. And my dad had told me in our visit that that's what he wanted. And I'd already been praying for that earlier. And he got his wish. And I'm so thankful for it. And my mom and I, I haven't seen my mom cry. That means she hadn't. I have. Mostly that day that he died that morning. And that evening. But I hadn't since. But sometimes there's things that are hard to say. and talking about it. But he is currently sitting in cold storage, I imagine, at the funeral home in Madison. The Natchez Trace Funeral Home. It was my choice. His wish is to be cremated. They're going to do it there when the doctor signs the papers and put his remains in a some sort of vessel box and my mom and I went around with my kids went around with one of the uh, cemetery directors a woman about my age I guess and we looked at the three places that you can put the remains you can seal them up inside little you know they have a huge mausoleum in the center of the graveyard and we ended up choosing a, a spot in the front of the mausoleum facing east, facing Highway 51 out there, which is a highway that I've been driven down and up since late, late 1969. 
through today I've traveled I've traveled that stretch because the high school my school I went to and my kids go to is only a mile from there or less and I've always known that cemetery although I've never known anyone buried there but that's where he's going to be and mom mom and I came out of there especially my mom just so pleased and happy and at peace with we're already at peace with what happened to him because now he, he doesn't suffer and he was, he was he was not happy with his life his current life physically without being able to get around or go play cards or go eat at the club or go have lunch someplace with all of us you know that was his routine here the last few years and it was taken away from him completely he was homebound and uh I guess that's why it's not that hard to talk about two days later. He lived a long life. And he went relatively quick and painless. And you can't ask for any more than, than that kind of blessing. But 2020, <laughs> I'm raising two fingers to you for hitting me with divorce and hitting me with losing my father and then rubbing salt in it with no sports because of this worldwide pandemic and then we have all these fools in this country running roughshod over, over all the urban cities is that redundant? What's the time? That's about right. 37 minutes. I didn't think I'd talk that much about my father. But his name is Ralph Davis Day, and I love you. And we lift you up. And we know that you have peace. By the rivers of Babylon, where he sat.
sinking out for song in a strain. 